Hello, and welcome to Breaking the Mold, a podcast from the National Precast Concrete Association. Tune in every month as we dig into a different aspect of the precast concrete industry. I'm Joe Frollo, NPCA Director of Communications and Public Affairs. We hope you enjoy this podcast and get a little something out of it. Make sure to subscribe and rate us so we can continue to grow and serve our membership. Today, we're going to be talking about risk management and security. We'll start out by talking with Eric Akonis of Sophos. Eric and I will discuss cybersecurity, what it is, and how much of it is right for your system. Later in the show, we'll hear from NPCA's Brad Chinnering alongside Joe Mulatto, a former regional director of risk management for Old Castle. They will discuss risk assessment for precast concrete facilities. Let's get started. Hey, Eric, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me on, Joe. Appreciate it. No problem. Hey, before we uh, we dig into cybersecurity a little bit, let, let, let's start off by uh, just talking about what that word means, especially from your business, from, from inside the cybersecurity business. I think to a lot of people, it can scare them, and I think it's something much bigger and much more expensive that, that they may not want to dive into. But you know, what, what are the basics? What's sort of the ground floor that people should get to know? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I certainly empathize with people who look at cybersecurity and they get uh, they see the alphabet soup of acronyms that my industry throws at them of EDR, MDR, XDR, SIM, SOAR, IR. So it can be it can become overwhelming very quickly. Um, but but the short of it is there's a reality where cyber attackers are really indiscriminate about who they what types of businesses that they go after. And so you want to have core foundational technologies people in process to be able to detect and respond to threats from from those attackers. So that's it's kind of a trite uh, paradigm for a reason, people, technology process, but but it does it does hold true. And for many organizations, you might not have the ability to hire someone who's going to be a full-time employee dedicated to monitoring and responding to, to cyber threats, doing cool cyber ninja stuff. That's not in the cards for many, many organizations. Luckily, there are a lot of good for those companies to have solutions that work for them and scale to, to their size, whether they're a very small business with a handful of employees to a mid-market organization in the realm of you know, 150 to 700 employees, all the way up to very, very large enterprises with hundreds of thousands of employees. So there are solutions. Uh, and, and, and I would just encourage you to, to speak with someone who can really understand your needs, your industry, and come up with a solution that works for you versus just lobbing acronyms at you. Yeah, that's a great point, actually, because uh, Sophos, uh, like NPCA, you know, we work with companies of all sizes, of all budgets, and it doesn't typically cost anything for you just to open a conversation with someone. If it if it gets to be a little bit more than you think you need or more than you can afford right now, you can always say no. But that conversation is certainly one that's that's good to have. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and you know, when you have those conversations, you'll, you'll know it when you're having it because cybersecurity is... I mean, kind of cool, right? Like, I, I think it's a pretty cool space to work in. And you see a lot of the negative stuff in the headlines, right? You see this organization suffered a massive large-scale cyber attack. And it can seem daunting. And people will use a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt type language with you. If they're doing that, that should raise a red flag. Because this is not a situation where you should be um, fearful to the point of making several sizable investments in cybersecurity. Again, there, there, there are solutions that are going to be a good fit for your organization. Uh, it's just about having the right types of conversation and making sure that the person you're speaking with is understanding your business and your needs. Because at the end of the day, cybersecurity is about ensuring that you can maintain normal business operations. 
That's all it is, right? And, and it shouldn't be an impediment to how you or your employees do work. It should just be, we're going to make sure that, that you're able to keep doing the things that you do for your business without interruption from a cyber attacker. That's good. What are the most uh, common dangers and risks out there that, that people really want to protect themselves against and uh, have something in place to, to warn them that maybe it's, it's happening or you know just prevent it outright from happening? Yeah, so there's a couple. One of the most common and the one that you tend to see most frequently in the headlines is ransomware. So if, if you're not familiar with ransomware, essentially what that is is an attacker gains access to files in your network, in your, in your business, and they encrypt them so that you can't access them any longer. And they will then require a ransom payment. Sometimes it, it can be very, very expensive for that ransom payment. But until you make that payment, they won't decrypt their fi your files and give them access back to you. That's a common attacker trait, and we, we see organizations who get attacked with ransomware, and they, they do pay the ransom. We see some that don't pay the ransom. We see some that have those files that were encrypted. Uh, they could just restore them from backup, and they're okay, and it's, you know, it's a mildly inconvenient day for them, and we see organizations that have to start all the way over um, when, when that happens. But that's, that's a number one uh, type, type attack. And then the other two, um, and most people have heard of phishing, e email phishing being a, a very common one whereby an attacker is looking to compromise your email account credentials. They send you a falsified email, uh, you click on it or someone in your organization clicks on it, they end up sharing their password or their login information. And now that attacker has access to that person's user account, they will use that user account to move uh, what we call moving laterally throughout your organization, exposing other parts of your business. And then the last, uh, which is similar to phishing, is called business email compromise. And that's where an attacker is either using uh, lookalike business email addresses, or maybe they have compromised one of your users, and they're using that to uh, extort you or, or, or manipulate you in some way. A common uh, version of that is using access to, to your email account to dig up invoices that are due to, 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 to a customer, a customer owes to you, and falsifying routing numbers changing the routing number so that the money that's supposed to go from a customer to your business or for your business to a, to a supplier is actually going to a attacker's uh, bank. Those are the three kind of most common, most dangerous, most impactful cyber attacks. Yeah. And uh, if you get to the point where someone is obviously changing routing numbers or, or locking down your data, you're too late. That's why you want to get out in front of all this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and there are Again, getting back to certain tools that you do want to have in, in place, especially for those types of threats, having, it used to be called antivirus, right? Like back when computers became a thing, you, the first kind of version of, of, of cybersecurity software was antivirus. That's now emerged into what's called endpoint security or EDR, which is endpoint detection and response. So I'm going to go try abstain as much as I can from using all stupid acronyms that my industry uses. Um, but those are tools that are able to detect ransomware. They can even detect, like our tools can detect when a file or files are being encrypted and stop the process and then roll it back to its previous safe state. So you want to have at a minimum some type of endpoint security and an ideally an endpoint detection response solution in place. And then for email, a lot of, uh, a lot of email providers now have built-in email security, right? If you have Microsoft, the Microsoft has an, has an email security product. So does, so does Gmail. Um, those are both good. Uh, and usually you want to be able to augment that with additional security layers. So having at the end of the day, a strong endpoint security tool and a strong email security tool are going to be two of the best technologies that you can, buy. but technology alone isn't, 
always going to be sufficient uh, because attackers are very aware of what technologies exist and they find ways of circumventing that technology because that's how they have to do their business. When you're a smaller company, maybe you're, you know, a family with, with a, a mom, a dad, a couple of kids, you can get away with, you know, some of those, you know, download on your laptop and, and have that. But what's, what's a, a sort of metric you should look at maybe when you're grossing X million dollars a year that you really should start looking at, at more sophisticated cybersecurity production? Yeah, I would I would look at it more in terms of what are the things that you can do based on on the resources that you have. So yeah, if you're if you're a smaller organization, I mean we 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 work with customers that are again tens of people or fewer than than ten people in the organization, and typically they have at a minimum that endpoint security technology. But again, because technology is inherently limited in what it can do, one of the things that has become most popular among especially mid-market and small businesses is is something called managed detection and response services. And essentially what this is, is a team of people who are skilled in detecting, responding to, hunting cyber threats. Uh, and they are acting as an extension of your organization. So you're, you essentially have a group of people who are monitoring your network 24 by 7, they're using whatever tools you have in place to, to detect threats and respond to threats but they're really doing that work for you. So instead of hiring people or a team of people, you've got this extension that's coming in the form of a, of a, of a service that you, a managed service that you purchase. And for many organizations, having such a service uh, protecting your business is gonna cost about the same as what you might pay an intern uh, for, for work over the course of a year. But for the cost of that intern or that single full-time employee, you're getting a veteran team of people who just do this professionally. That's something that's very common among smaller business is increasingly common among large and very large enterprises too, because where we're at in terms of cyber threats and, and the frequency and severity of them, it just doesn't make sense for most organizations to hire, train and retain people to do this work internally. It's kind of, we kind of equate it to, you look at Amazon web services, no one's building their own data centers anymore to house data. They have a service in the cloud with AWM, Amazon web services cybersecurity is going to go in the same direction where organizations are going to have access to cloud delivered cybersecurity services staffed by people providing the technology so that businesses don't have to worry about this stuff. Why? Yeah, we have uh, something along that lines here at NPCA. We work with a group called INS that uh, that does our cybersecurity and uh, they provide monthly training, just things to look out for, you know, little things like we talked about hackers coming into your computer through email or through phishing links or something like that. But also, you know, leaving your phone sitting there at a restaurant or at the airport and you walk away and go to the restroom or leaving your laptop, you know, open to public Wi-Fi in one of those areas that can be just as dangerous as, you know, or, or maybe more susceptible. I don't know than when you're sitting at your desk and you have a little bit more inherent security just because you're on your own server and you may not be out there on the cloud. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and those types of like any type of cybersecurity service should have the ability to, you know, lock down a, a user's device if it's if it's somewhere where it's not supposed to be, and you know, tr trace trace it back. But it is it is something that every organization needs to be thinking about. Again, without getting into the fear, uncertainty, doubt territory, ninety four percent of organizations globally suffered some type of significant cybersecurity event last year, right? So that and that severity can be. <laughs> I mean, anything from, hey, we were, you, you know, uh, shut down for, for a day or in some cases it's weeks, in some cases it's months, 
But 94%, it is not something that is exclusively targeting large enterprises. It actually can be quite a bit the opposite because attackers know that for sometimes organizations that are smaller, they could be softer targets. They might not have some of the technology in place. So we can make more money as, as, a, as attackers, as, as adversaries, just going after a bunch of small businesses versus going after a large business, which is going to have you know, more resources dedicated to, to cybersecurity. And then I was also looking into, we, pr we produce uh, threat intelligence research, so just trends on adversary and, and, and attacker behaviors. And uh, so construction and property actually was the, the, the second highest, most targeted industry of any industry that we looked at, second only to uh, education. And so 71% of all ransomware attacks were last year were targeting construction and property type organizations. I don't know why that specifically would be, but that's what the what's, what the data uh, bears out. Yeah, one of the most common things that I found both personally and professionally is, and I didn't believe this at first, was passwords. Uh, the need to have just different passwords, different variations of a password and something like that. That happened to me at one of my places where I work. And, you know, my, my work password, I... The people who ran our cybersecurity did a, did a search somehow where they basically went out there and, and tried my email and tried that password and found four or five other places. So by getting your password once, you know, you're opening the door for maybe your bank account, maybe your 401k, you know, maybe something as simple as like your, your Yahoo or your Gmail email that doesn't matter as much, but it could be somewhere that they can access funds just by having your, your password at this one place. They've now got it at a half a dozen or more places if you use the same password everywhere. Absolutely, and, and uh, so you you see passwords once once they're identified, they get traded as currency on on the dark web, and and so attackers will use databases to, of of passwords in order to try to execute attacks against individuals and, and organizations. So yeah, strong password hygiene. Password managers are your friends. You know things like LastPass and OnePassword that make it easier for you to have complex passwords instead of having to reuse the same one. Password length matters more than having a bunch of odd characters. So think in terms of a passphrase, uh, use things like song lyrics or just long strings of text that you can recall from memory is a really good uh, process for, for passwords. So you wanna have you know, uh, somewhere in the range of 20 to 30 characters for your passwords. So that's why a passphrase or sentence is better. That's gonna make you virtually immune to uh, what's called like a brute force attack, where an attacker is just using high computing power in order to come up with variations of your password. That's a, that, that's a long password. I, I have to admit, I'm not in that range in most areas. <laughs> Believe me, if you think about it, if you think about just uh, song lyrics is a really good one. Just to pick, pick, pick a song that, that you know well and, and do, do a couple... Uh, or a couple stanzas of a poem if you're if you're into poetry or whatever, but but yeah, it's 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 surprisingly easy once you come up with 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 one, and then you that becomes the one that you use. For your, uh, Joe, you mentioned being able to to, to see in, in, uh, where you might have a compromised credential somewhere. Have I been pwned? So pwned with a P is a free resource that anyone can go to. You type in your email address, and it will say whether or not that email address has been associated with any large scale data breaches. So if, uh, if, if you, uh, for example, if your LinkedIn, LinkedIn suffered a breach a number of years ago, a lot of people had compromised credentials as part of that. So that's a good way to identify, okay, this is a, a, a place where my password might have been compromised. I definitely want to change my login credentials for that site. Uh, so, so that, you know, you don't have something floating around there that can be used against you. So 
being in the business that you're in, obviously you can't talk about specific names or companies like that, or, or maybe even things that you've read. We've all kind of seen the headlines with the big companies. Can you share some of the horror stories, some of the some of the sort of worst case scenarios that you you've seen or been a part of? Yeah, one one that's relevant that comes to mind was it was at um, steel manufacturing, so not exactly construction or, or, or concrete, but but steel manufacturing, a close enough analog, and, and they suffered just such a, a payment transfer fraud attack, where the attacker was able to compromise the control the the uh, credentials of the corporate controller. So they go after targets who have sensitive information, like financial information. So the attacker was able to compromise this this controller, uh, and uh, once they did that, they looked for for invoices and. I'll cut to, to one part of this story. So the steel manufacturer reaches out to a customer and says, hey, you've got this invoice that's now several months late. The customer says, well, no, we paid that on time and here's a copy of the invoice. And that's where then looking, comparing the invoices, they found that the routing number had been changed. This is a $500,000 invoice that was sent directly to an attacker's bank account. And at that point, it cannot be recovered. That, that, that money is gone. And so we, of course, uh, we come into play when that, after this is discovered and this wasn't an existing customer, they became a customer of ours for our incident response services, which is a team who, who deploys into organizations after a breach has been, has, has occurred. And yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's basically the, the short of, of what happened is, you know, a single individual in the organization was, was compromised and that resulted in a half million dollar loss plus created a legal conflict between who was responsible. Was it the customer who did not follow required uh, payment processes? Was it the organi- Was it the steel manufacturer who didn't have the right security controls in place to protect that customer? So a bunch of things that you don't want to get in- involved in. And unfortunately, that type of thing does happen. And then ransomware is quite literally an everyday occurrence. Our managed services group, we, we, we defend more than 17,200 organizations globally. Uh, we're actually the largest in the world by, by, a, by a large margin. And so our team sees this every single day with, with ransomware. And, and, and luckily, you know, those are organizations where we're sending them a notification saying, hey, someone compromised their credentials. This was used as part of a ransomware attack. Don't worry. It's, we stopped it. We're just telling you that it happened. <laughs> uh, and, and then providing recommendations on how to improve your security posture if there are certain things that maybe you need to be doing better to prevent a recurrence. So something I've been reading about lately is cyber insurance, and, and that's becoming more and more popular in your industry, Eric. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So cyber liability insurance is similar to any insurance policy you might have, but it is dedicated to if your organization suffers a cyber attack or an incident, that's when you would use that insurance provider who's going to provide uh, resources like incident response specialists. They might recommend certain technologies to, for your environment to, to deploy and use, but it is something that has become kind of a cost of doing business for many organizations, not just highly regulated regulated industries anymore. It used to just be if you're in healthcare or finance, you need to have cyber insurance. And, and now that has become something that, that really is kind of ubiquitous for organizations of all sizes. It's also become more difficult for organizations to become insurable, to be eligible for an insurance policy. So the way that process works is an insurance provider will send your organization uh, an application questionnaire that will ask you a number of questions about what technology you have in place, processes that you have in place, people uh, that you have in place, again, getting back to that paradigm. And 
a lot of them will request some of the things that I talked about. So having an endpoint detection and response tool in place, having multi-factor authentication, having the ability to monitor your network 24 by 7, 365. And again, as you start to stack up the things that insurance requ uh, providers are requiring, it starts to become difficult for many organizations to do this, Where which it comes back to being able to have a managed service who's doing this for you is really going to be the best option for a lot of these organizations. But yeah, certainly having, having cyber liability insurances, uh, the policies are not massive. You can get pretty strong protections uh, for, for, for a pretty immaterial premium. Um, but you do want to make sure that you are meeting the, the requirements of that questionnaire because if you file a claim and the insurance provider finds out that you didn't have that tool or that process or that person in place, they're going to deny that claim. And claim denials are up as ransomware attacks have been increasingly more successful. So insurance providers need to recoup some of their losses for the past couple of years. Hey, Eric, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for talking. This has been a great conversation and uh, one that I know will be ongoing as uh, we continue down this road here at NPCA, trying to help our members, you know, with, with everything they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. If you ever have any questions, please reach out to me. I'm, I'm easy to find. Uh, I have a weird last name, so there's really only, you know, the one of me, unless a attacker's trying to assume my identity. We, we do we do not want that. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Let's take a quick break to hear about some NPCA programs that can help your facility operate at peak efficiency. When we come back, we'll have Brad Chinnery and Joe Mulatto talking about risk assessments for precast concrete facilities. Precast concrete manufacturers and suppliers are invited to open their doors and host a local Precast Days event in October. Precast Days is an annual initiative of the National Precast Concrete Association designed to raise awareness of precast manufacturing across the United States. Through these events, facilities educate local communities about career opportunities, precast products, and modern manufacturing techniques. Learn more and register your facility today at precast.org slash precastdays. NPCA once again is offering a series of free webinars designed specifically for engineers, departments of transportation personnel, and others who specify construction projects. Hear from the industry's best and brightest minds on precast concrete applications and benefits. Earn professional development hours while learning how precast products can help you meet project goals quickly and efficiently. Sign up today at precast.org specifiers. Hey, Joe, pleasure to have you. How you doing today? I'm on. Always a good day to chat risk and safety and, and love MPCA as an organization. So it's even funner to do with you guys. Right on. Well, I look forward to really just pulling the expertise out of you and sharing it with uh, with everybody that's listening. Really where I wanted to start, if we could, is just maybe risk from a high level. What's your perspective on it? And maybe why should a precaster even consider risk? Yeah, uh, it, it's uh, it's a big topic to really hit, Brad. You know, when you talk about risk, you know, I think traditional precasters tend to think about the things that are happening within the fence line of their operation. You know, they're 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 looking at the safety of their associates. They're looking at the risk to you know sales. They're looking at raw material risk and in price. But you know, we have to take a holistic view of risk in the business and look at all of the outside influences, things outside of your fence line that truly drive the risk that's to your business. Um, you know, it's not just insurance and safety anymore. 
cyber, it's liability, it's professional liability, it's product liability, it's uh, you know environmental liability as well. Uh, there's a lot of different risks that tree casters have a tendency to, to work with, and it's uh, it it get uh, pretty uh, pretty scary sometimes when you're looking at all the risks of your business and all the things that have to be tackled. No, absolutely. So. I mean, you just mentioned a whole lot of things, a whole lot of maybe experts that would need to be in the room. Where would you even start? Yeah, great question. Look, I I, I challenge that. I say you don't need a bunch of experts in the room. You've got some great experts within the fence line of your business. I always have a tendency to look at risk management as getting a whole bunch of folks that have a common goal into a room together and you start small. Start with a single process. Maybe it's a process that's working really well. I, I tend to start there and you get a cross-functional group and never forget to include your line manufacturing staff. You get the best ideas, the cheapest ideas, and usually the most easy to implement ideas will come from that group of folks. Make sure to include them. Start with a process that's easy. Start with a process you know and know you know how to work and then break it down. Start it at the beginning, the middle, the end, and then look past the end. Where is this product going? What is this process doing? Is there risk past my fence line when I take it outside? Is there risk past my fence line once it goes into the ground? And those are all areas where you need to look at and break it down process by process. I never think it's an ending process. We continue to look at new processes in our business. We continue to refine processes that we've already looked at. Um, and we tend to find, you know, safer ways to do it, but also more operationally efficient ways to do it as well. All right. So you kind of mentioned two things, operationally efficient, safety, and then maybe we'll talk about beyond the fence line later. You know, maybe start with safety. I think I think a lot of people have kind of a concept of, of risk management from a safety standpoint. Are there any maybe kind of tips or tricks or the things that you've seen that people maybe overlook? when they're looking at safety and risk? Gosh, um, it's the simple things that get you. It's the things that you're going to, your, your task, your team's going to be doing a hundred times a day. That's where they're going to get hurt. And then we tend to see the tasks you don't do as often, but are dangerous. Let's say you have to go in and do maybe some finishing on a confined space. Maybe only do that once or twice a year. That'd be a, a high risk, low frequency task that you would want to look at. Um, you know, crane use, crane ways, making sure that we are maintaining safe distance from lifted objects. That's actually, that's a really good idea. Just looking back and going, man, uh, and you, you probably put something in place to, to fix, you know, those past issues, but are they still working? You know, is, is always a great example. And then I loved how you bring in, you know, bring in the person that's actually doing the job and see if they have a good idea or man is there some way we can just make your pain a little bit easier maybe pain not in terms of safety but you know frustration right man it just takes me a little bit extra time to do this thing right maybe that's an opportunity to to make it better right getting into the operate yeah i mean look at any operational efficiency program six sigma five s six s i mean they, they all utilize a cross-functional team they all utilize folks from the line as well as levels of management within them. Um, and, you know, we, when you really start to get good at Six Sigma or 5S, you tend to have your team stack heavy on the on the line side and maybe not as many. Maybe you have an executive sponsor that's in there as well. 
Um, but then you get the best ideas and the best implementation from those folks that are truly doing it every single day. Now, Joe, been to a plant or two, and they're they're busy, right? I got huge demand. Like we're just jobbing. We're we're getting things out the door. Does it really make sense to take time out of our day to plan for some risk, like you're saying? Yeah, if you don't, your day is going to get really bad anyway. And it may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, but eventually you're going to have to pay the piper on it. It's brand damage, name recognition damage. I mean, there's a lot that could be damaged by a simple act or a, an omission or a mistake. You know, the, the, the stakes are too high. We have mobile equipment interaction. We have things being lifted overhead. In precast, you don't make anything that, that weighs nothing. Everything is heavy. Got rebar in it. It's got it's got metal. Uh, you're using tooling and forms. They're heavy. They're big. They're unwieldy, right? So you have all of these hazards in your environment. Well, how do you prioritize them? You know, how do you how do you break a hazard down? How do you break a shop floor down? And you and I say it again. You just take it task by task, piece by piece, and eventually you will get that whole shop done. Uh, it may be painful, and it may take a little bit of time. But I, but I guarantee you the time you invest now and the money you invest now comes back later in cost avoidance. Hard to really put those dollars to the bottom line in cost avoidance. Absolutely. And I guess what I'm hearing is really there's no wrong way to get started as long as you're getting started and as long as you're, I would say, following on with actions beyond just the assessment. And absolutely. It's, it's after you've had that change or, or product in place for a year, go look at it again. You may have gotten a new a new tool. You may have changed your rebar bending process. You may have a, a, a new option for making it safer, but you never looked at it for a, a process you started a couple years ago, a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. Continue to look at those processes and make them evergreen. So talking about processes, right? Maybe one of the risks is actually improving the process, right? As you're making improvements to the process, things are changing. And then now we got to look at it again, right? Is there is there a best time or a way to kind of keep up with it? Like what would, I guess, what would you recommend for that kind of structure? I tell you what, if you have a good line level person on this team with you, they will be the first to raise their hand and tell you, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just created five more steps for me, or you just gave me a tool that uh, I it weighs 85 pounds and I can't lift that by myself. Or, hey, maybe you just introduce a process that, you know, it, it's safer, but maybe we have an efficiency problem now. And that's going to cause us to, to work faster and harder down the road and have a, another issue at another spot in our factory. Get your line level folks involved because they're going to tell you, no, 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 that ain't going to work, man. We tried that two years ago. I love the old crusty hands that are out of factory, right? That guy who's been in the corner, who's been there for 20 years, he's seen this five times and he can tell you how to make it right. No, that's, I've, I've experienced that. I'm sure you have. And I, I do agree. Once you, once you get the, the, the folks, I'll say on the ground, you know, doing the work involved, they, you know, maybe can be a tough nut to crack at the beginning, but once you get them open, they'll open your eyes to the different opportunities and possibilities that you have to, to make improvements and to really identify risks going forward. You know, Brad, and the inverse is true there. If you don't include them, 
and you just come out on a Monday morning with a new uh, standard operating procedure and you throw it onto the to the to the rebar cage and you say, hey, go do this. They ain't going to do that. <laughs> I can guarantee it. And they might do some of it, but they won't do it all. And then all that work you did to, to come up with this new process is just thrown out the window because you didn't get the buy-in on the upfront side. No, absolutely. Uh, change change management becomes your your biggest hurdle at that point, just trying to force it. So is there is there ever, a, I guess, a chance or an opportunity to transfer risk or otherwise maybe offload it from you instead of having to mitigate it yourself? I think in the precast world where I see this done a lot is in transportation, right? You are, you know, your, your products have to get to market. And so there's, you know, there's, there's two ways you're going to do it. You're either going to do it in house and maybe, maybe you have a, uh, you know, a fleet of low boys and you got a fleet of DOT regulated trucks and maybe you got some crane trucks in there as well to drop products in the ground. That that's a fairly risky environment for you. Um, where I see a lot of precasters, they'll transfer that risk. Maybe they have decided, hey, we're only going to do the transportation that involves, you know, that involves a crane truck. Everything else that could be low void, we're going to transfer that risk to somebody else. They're going to, we're going to, we're going to hire some great DOT contractors, and they're going to do all of our hauling for us. Maybe you decide to outsource 100% of your hauling. Maybe, maybe you decide, hey, I'm going to take my my raw materials, uh, you know, my aggregates. Maybe, maybe I'm going to haul that, but all my product will be hauled by somebody else. We see a lot of risk transfer just in the hauling, delivery, and dropping scenarios. You know, there, there's good and there's bad with risk transfer, right? You you may have a, a very risky process that you transfer, like, like to a crane hauler, but maybe you aren't their biggest priority today. Maybe they've got a, a better, bigger customer and they can't get to you today, and that's going to cause you know harm to your business. So there absolutely are trade-offs. Um, but you have to understand the total, you know, your total cost of risk and your total trade-off cost is going to be, and it's not just a risk decision. I, I, in business, I've seen very few decisions that are made per, in, in one way or with one subject, you know, you weigh all the risk, you weigh all of the reward, and then you make your best decisions based upon that. Uh, safety does not, and risk does not live in a vacuum. Show me a well-performing factory and I'll show you a safe factory. Show me an underperforming factory in any way, and I will show you an unsafe factory. Yeah, and I would say quality is probably in there too. You know, when it's safe, you're probably going to have the quality as well. And then as you get unsafe, you probably have maybe some lapses in quality. Just you know, as a general approach to business or to work uh, in that factory as well. All right, so so maybe we've offloaded the risk in transportation. Maybe not. You know, business risk safety decision products on the job site it's out of my play is is the risk gone at that point or are there still things maybe i need to consider ask any structural precaster if, if they sleep at night once their product hits the ground or goes goes into a wall or goes into a building i'll say no and, and i agree right even if you're not doing structural precast let's just say you're doing um, water and underground right Hey, do you have a traffic rated vault? Are you doing traffic rated elliptical pipe? I mean, there, there's much more than just, hey, I'm going to dump some stuff in the ground and I'm going to leave it there and it's going to be okay in 25 years. It may not be okay in 25 years. And you talked about quality control and I, and I see that as, you know, where, where safety is your is your stopgap for your, your associates getting hurt. Quality control is your stopgap for the general public getting hurt. 
and your liability once it leaves your fence line. You know, we, we talk about uh, lifter failures, one of the most common areas where precast concrete injuries occur. And it could, you know, a lifter failure could fail in your factory or it could fail in the field when you got three guys in a hole and you're putting something in it with them. And, you know, it, let, let's say, you know, we didn't tie that lifter in right. Maybe we didn't get depth of concrete. Maybe we used the wrong lifter. Uh, maybe we spec the wrong lifter. The lifter didn't fail. We failed the lifter. And so those kinds of areas we see are, you know, that's where you need to be thinking for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, if you're a precaster is, you know, what do I got in the ground and is it going to hold up because my QC team cut a corner? Now, how, did, how does that work? Because, you know, many precasters aren't necessarily doing the installation. So now, now you have, I guess, multiple entities involved. I guess, how do you decide maybe, you know, if, you know, forbid something happened, but who, I guess, who gets the blame? Is that just, you know, some engineer 100 page report? <laughs> Boy, if I could tell, if I could tell you that, Brad, I would be a bazillionaire, man. I could look at someone and say, you're 100% to blame 100% of the time. I'd, I'd be everyone's favorite expert witness. And tell you that, but life doesn't work like that, right? Um, it, it just doesn't. And and so I, I look at it this way: if you are that concerned about the products walking out of your door, take a step back again and, and make sure that what's going out the door is the best possible product you can have, right? That's your first stopgap. And the second is insurance, right? One, there's very little you can do once it's in the ground. Maybe you can go check it. Maybe you can go repair some spalling. Maybe you do some cosmetic work, but structural work you aren't going to do once it's in the ground. So you have to have a, a robust insurance program and risk management program to protect your business in 10, 20, or 30 years. Product liability, general liability, those type, those type of actions. And you know what? If somebody you know drops it or somebody else causes is negligent towards your product, I can guarantee you that's all going to come out in the wash anyway. It's all going to come out in court. It's going to come out in depositions. It's going to come out in, in whoever sues who, the pretrial discovery. You got when you're thinking about your insurance protection. You know, are you are you okay with taking a couple twenty thousand dollar hits a year? Right. You know, we talked before. Like I'm busy. Like I I got jobs that need to get out the door. Right. But now I got legal work and paperwork and I don't know engineering investigations. It's just it's a lot to consider. Yeah, when you get those engineers involved, it gets really expensive really fast. You know, you got to pay a bunch of engineers and y'all can't agree on anything. So, yeah, now you got to go hire a third engineer to fight with the first two, right? Well, then you just have three opinions. Well, potentially, potentially, yeah. <laughs> so mitigating the risk, certainly looking forward. How is this going to be used? What are the potential things that could happen? I'd say probably finding a good insurance company to really talk you through it. Make sure... Make sure you're asking the hard questions to to know what is my deductible? Is this covered? Is this not covered? Uh, I mean, are there any like really good questions to ask when you're trying to, to figure it out? Find yourself a good insurance broker. Find yourself, and they may cost you a little bit on on the upfront cost of your of your total risk program, but they're going to find there, there's a ton of value there. They're going to find the right player in the right market for the right line of insurance for your business. There are there are niche producers of insurance for almost any industry out there now. 
Um, and they may be subsidiaries of big players and they may not. But there, find yourself a good broker that's going to give you a lot of options. And that's going to sit down with you and talk about it. It's not just, hey, Bob, I need insurance. And you expect them to get insurance back to you. There, there are a lot of things you have to talk about. What is your, what is your cost of cash? How much liquidity do you have? Can you, can you support a program that pays all your deductibles up front? Can you do a deferred deductible program? You, there, there are a lot of things that your brokers can help you with, even on the, the financing side of risk. So you can have the right levels of insurance to keep your business viable. I mean, that, that's, that's great. I didn't even know, you know, you can find that insurance broker that then gets you to the, the right person that knows what they're doing, understands the niche and can really help you out with the specifics of what needs to be covered maybe. And for your business, what, what can you accept? What you, you know, maybe definitely need to have covered based on the product. Yeah. And, and, and the things that you have to ask yourself as a precast or, or in any business, not unique to precast is what is your risk tolerance? What are you willing to risk? Are you willing to risk one year's EBITDA because you're going to take a, you know, your, your deductible, your self-insured risk so high. Are you willing to take a smaller, smaller piece of that? Are you wanting to pay a higher premium and not have that higher deductible sitting out there? What is your risk tolerance? And, and I think you have to to develop that over time. And, and there's nothing more valuable than sitting down with that broker and them having those conversations about your risk tolerance. Maybe you're risk adverse on vehicle insurance, but you're more risk tolerance on business continuity because you got a, you know, you have a mine right next to you that's going to mine all your aggregates for you. If you do not have a robust auto safety program, um, you're going to get caught eventually. One more, uh, one more tick on offloading that transportation. Yeah. I mean, but Hey, it, it could even be that, that plant truck, right? That plant truck that maybe just runs to Granger or Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, maybe makes two or three trips a month. Who's driving that truck? Do they have a valid driver's license? Have you had a training session with that person to tell them not to, not to, you know, call their friend and talk on the phone while they're driving to Home Depot? Yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, right? It's the things, the, the little things that you maybe don't even think of, right? Oh yeah. Hey, I mean, he's just running out to Home Depot to, to get us another, what's it, right? It, like, it doesn't matter. Like we just, we make that run all the time because there's always like some little thing that we need, right? That's the thing that's going to. Every, every precast plant in the United States has a, has a, has a shop truck, at least one. Their maintenance guys probably got one. They probably got one for the QC people. Uh, definitely someone for the yard. You're driving around the yard. No one wants to walk a yard anymore, right? Especially when it's 110 degrees out. So, you know, um, you have these here. How are you utilizing them? Have you run an MVR on your on your drivers? Do you have designated drivers? Do you have a camera in your vehicle? That is becoming the gold standard now. Um, if you don't have dual-facing cameras looking at, looking at your drivers and what's going off in the front of that vehicle, um, you know, insurers are not going to be able to to write policies for businesses that don't do that anymore. It's just become the standard. Well, that's good to know. I'm going to have one of those for my my daughter when she starts driving. It, it's amazing the things you see. Uh, sometimes it's uh, sometimes that's why I don't sleep at night, uh, and sometimes it's why I uh, I get a little bit better sleep at night because I know we've taken an associate that's had some at risk behaviors and we pull them out of our vehicles. So we have all this risk. There's certainly things we can do from a, I'll say an ongoing management, ongoing management actions or management of the risk. What would be 
I don't know, the, the right things to look at. Are there are there metrics that should be looked at? Is there like a right frequency to review policies uh, and, and different things in place? What, what would you say is maybe the like the sweet spot? Or maybe, again, just some, some tips or tricks on the things to really look at, right? You said safety. Right? Like we're looking at safety. We know maybe quality is going to follow. We know other things going to follow that. So you don't utilize, utilize the resources you have in front of you. I mean, every commercial insurer for workers comp in the United States has a loss control department. They're there to help you. You can, you, you can leverage those folks for your insurance company. They, they'll come into your factory. They'll take a look at it. They'll provide you uh, some help. Hey, I do this over here. I do this over here. You know, it's the same thing. We look at QC audits. They're going to make you better tomorrow. Bring in consultants. Bring in someone from that from the from somebody else's factory. Um, if you have more than one factory, do some cross pollinization. Bring somebody from a, one of the other factories into your factory, and then send someone from your factory to them. They're going to see things that you've never seen before, or your team has never seen before, and point things out to you. Um, as for formalized processes, you should be looking at your insurance loss runs every quarter, understanding where your losses are and how are you going to prevent them. Because I guarantee you, your insurer is looking at them every quarter as well. And there, when it comes time for your renewal, that's when you're going to get the, oh, well, you just, you know, you had all these losses. So now I'm going to increase your premium rates 30, 40, 50%. If you don't know about it, they're going to know about it for you. You better have some answers on how you're going to prevent that from happening. That's good. Now, I guess within the, within the plant, are there in maybe metrics or like kind of that day-to-day week-to-week or I'll, I'll say meeting but you know certainly indicators of hey we're we're still good or at least you know I can I can be a little bit more comfortable that you know the processes are in place sure I mean I, I always you know look at leading I love leading indicators but in the safety world and risk management we tend to put a little bit more weight and emphasis on our lagging indicators. Um, so let's talk about some lagging indicators within risk management. You know, total case incident rate or TCIR tends to be the kind of that leading safety metric. That's what everyone talks about. Anything more than zero means you hurt someone, right? Um, you know, miles driven without incident is another good one. Um, and then, you know, define incident. Is it a risk? Is it an at risk? Did did you get called saying your guy was speeding and cutting me off on the freeway? And, uh, and you know, is, is that a hazard or not? I don't know. Um, but, you know, Look, look at your, the metrics you have today, all of those metrics, like your experience modifier, all the, the number of claims, the amount of money you spent on claims, your deductible spend, all of those things happened yesterday. But let's talk about some leading indicators that I love. How many near misses have you generated out of your factory? How many documented near misses? Why do I care about documented near misses? Well, if you document them, hopefully you can investigate them and you come up with corrective action and you make it so it doesn't happen. It never gets to the TCIR side of your ledger because it never happened. You stopped it at the near miss. You stopped it before the injury occurred. Um, one, one, of, one of my mentors, Philip Schultz, always said, hey, look, your, your employees are out there practicing their next injury right now. They're practicing it. You just got to get them to stop practicing that injury. And think about that in a little bit of detail. Think about that throughout your entire life cycle of your business. Your QC guys, are they practicing their next QC failure? Your rebar guys, are they practicing their next cage failure or mismeasurement or something like that? Your drivers, are they practicing their next fender bender? Or your crane operators, are they practicing their next upset event? 
Ukraine. Those behaviors before they get to injuries, those behaviors before they get to incidents, stop them there. Near misses, I look at a safety, I look at a healthy factory, I can tell it pretty quickly if I look at just their near misses. Are they being done? Are they being done seriously? And can I track them? No, I like that. I like, uh, I really like the near misses because, yeah, I mean, they're like, that's the habit, right? You get the near miss, you're like, cool, that was a close one. But then you've moved on, right? Like, I'm on to the next. If you take a second, go, why was that a close one? Right. And what can we do about it prevents that next one? Maybe it wasn't so close. Maybe, maybe it did happen. And that's absolutely something that's worth, worth avoiding. And that's, to me, that's in the factory, that's transportation, that's offloading equipment. I mean, that's, that's everything. I mean, even just walking out, you know, out in the hallway and then a door opens and you're just like, whoa, you know, that was close. Okay. Well, then what can we do about it? So I don't take it right in the face next time. Well, I, I think I think I'm gonna blow your mind, Brad, because you have near misses on one side, right? That's conditions. That's action. That that that's you know things in your factory. That's you know, hey, I got some uh, form oil on the ground that everyone's gonna slip in and walk through and track through, right? Let's talk about behaviors of associates. That's where the real save is. If I can stop an at-risk behavior before it turns into the injury, what do I mean by that? Well, I walk by in the factory and I see one of our guys not using uh, a glove. When he's working with Ray rebar, well, that's that's an at-risk behavior. I know that that associate's going to get cut by that rebar eventually. Maybe not right now, maybe not today. But if I walk by that and I do not address the at-risk behavior before it comes an injury, well, once again, we're practicing our injury. So not only are you looking for near misses, not only are you looking for conditions in your factory, but you're looking for behaviors of individuals and how they interact with that. You can get to that level, the behavior level. You can go years and years and years without OSHA recordable without hurting anybody in your factory. Yeah, I think that was, I'll say that's a, that's a, that's a great point, and I think that's a I don't know if you watch Top Gear, but that's that's a bombshell to end on right there. You know, right? You know, instead of injuries, you know, looking at the near misses, and then just keep working your way up that ladder to the at risk behaviors, because once you get there, you're it's conditioning. Um, you know, not to step over that crack on the sidewalk, not to look past that, you know, that one time, oh, I only did it one time, right? But who who else has seen you? What other bad behaviors are there? What else are you practicing? I think that's a, I'll say a very, I'll say insightful thing, you know, if you really want to start affecting positive change, right? And to me, that goes for safety, that goes for quality. I mean, that goes for you name it. You know, the sooner you can catch it, the the more impactful it's going to be, and generally the the less expensive it's going to be of a problem if you catch it sooner. Well, Joe, hey, it's been a a pleasure talking with you. Really getting those those insights from you. Well, I, I just say thank you for having me on, and and if we continue to talk about risk and safety, you know, these are important things to your to your associates, your employees. Take it one step at a time. There's lots of help and resources out there for you. Start utilizing those resources. And uh, and you will make a, a, a more profitable factory for yourself and a better place for your associates to work. Right on. And if you have any of those questions, for those of you listening, feel free to reach out to uh, NPCA and we'll do our best to uh, provide guidance or, or put you in connection with somebody else that, that can give you that, that right next step. Well, Joe, it's been a pleasure again. I hope you have a, a wonderful day and look forward to touch of base soon. 
That's our show. We hope you enjoyed it and can take some ideas from it back to your place of work. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a rating to help us reach more people both inside and outside of our industry. See you next time on Breaking the Mold.